Introducing the Two-Way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the Two-Way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the Two-Way for yourself at newbalance.com. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Wolverine 24-7 podcast, your audio source for all things Michigan football, basketball, and recruiting. I'm your host, Zach Shaw. Steve Lorenz here with me talking Michigan's 34-3 win over Nebraska. And we'll we'll get ahead of this. There's going to be some room for critique in this episode, but we understand that Michigan won by 31 points. It is kind of funny that Michigan has totally entered that Alabama, Georgia, Ohio state mode where they'll win by 31 points. They'll more than double up their opponent's yardage and fans will still be kind of like, eh, ho-hum or in some areas there's maybe even room for concern in this game. So it's not lost on us that Michigan is 10-0 and for the first time since 2006, and only the third time in the last 48 years. I mean, since 1975, it's it's just 97, 2006, and this season. So plenty, plenty for Michigan and its fans to feel good about. But moving forward, we're kind of looking at Michigan in the scope of will they win the Big Ten, will they make the playoffs, and will they win the national title? Because I think all three things are on the table, but I also think Michigan – and I think Michigan would say this itself, probably still has some areas to either clean up or improve upon in order to pull off those goals. And Steve, I think the most prominent one is its passing game. The Wolverines, 10 for 20 passing, 148 yards. There were two touchdowns. I, I felt like the red zone passing and maybe even just the play design continued to improve. Last week, I thought there were some pretty good plays and so you're starting to see the touchdowns pick up a little bit but Steve over the last three games Michigan's completing 52 percent of its passes it's averaging just over six yards per pass attempt it's passer rating and it meaning the team because I I don't know that it's all on JJ McCarthy but his passer rating prior to the last three games was in the 160s 170s since then it's been around the it's been the 120s Michigan's passer rating has. So definite drop off and and Steve this was kind of the the premise of my column that I posted this morning is you know Michigan is running the ball they run first. That's fine. They they have that identity. They've used it really pretty much all of Jim Harbaugh's tenure if you actually think about it. I mean there's only one year where they ranked in the top 50 in passing yards per game under Jim Harbaugh and it was the 2020 season. So really, they've always been run first, run heavy, and it's it's definitely working this season. But there's a big difference between being good at running and passing the ball and choosing to be run first and being run first because you don't have a pass game that can win you games. 
And I think for much of the season, I had kind of, when I saw Michigan's efficiency throwing the ball, I was always under the impression, okay, if they really need to pass, they can win. But Steve, there's plenty to unpack here, different things in the passing game that need to be improved. But if, if Illinois comes out next week and holds Michigan to three yards per carry, limits them to, I don't know, like 140 total rushing yards, I am not sitting here confident that Michigan will be able to throw its way to a, to a lopsided victory. My, my impression is if, is if a team shuts down, or not shuts down, slows down Michigan's rushing attack, it's going to be an absolute dogfight for the Wolverines, even with that, their great defense, which we'll talk about later on in this episode, even with the run game, which seems like it's still trending toward winning some awards this fall. I think Michigan's pass game is in a slump and I'm not sure 10 weeks into the season because they've spent all year trying to be, you know, that's what they work on in practice 10 weeks into the season or 10 games into the season. I'm hesitant to say time is running out, but there's certainly a lot of pressure on Blake Corum and Michigan's run game to produce in every game the rest of the way, because I don't think it's a given that Michigan's pass game will be able to like, say against Ohio state, win them a football game on the road in that kind of setting your thoughts on the pass game. I mean, 10 for 20, 148 yards. We knew that they weren't going to throw the ball like crazy against Nebraska, but that's, that's lower than I think what anyone expected from a production standpoint. Yeah, I think there's a few things here. So, so one, Michigan went like they were in situations last year where they needed to throw the football, and they were able to. Right? You know, we I remember coming out of the Washington game where Michigan ran it down their throats. Uh, a lot of the same sort of complaints. Uh, they're going to have to throw the ball. They're going to have to throw the ball. They're going to have to throw the ball. Well, they when they kind of did when they needed to last year even in the loss against Michigan State I think McNamara threw for like 370 something yards or something uh you know Penn State and Nebraska you know games where Michigan did have to show a little bit more on the other side of the uh, of the offensive uh game game plan or whatever and and they were able to effectively we haven't seen that yet uh you know, I think the concern is, yeah, one one thing is Michigan continues to win first down with their running game. And I think that's where they kind of build off of either continuing to run the football or, or whatever. I can't imagine there's not going to be a situation going forward for Michigan where they're like, they're going to play somebody, whether it's Ohio State, whether it's a team to match up with if they were to get into the playoffs, that is going to slow them down a little bit up front on first down in particular. And they're going to be in those second and eight, second and nines a little more consistently where you're really almost forced to have to throw the football. So I think, I think it's a situation where, you know, if, if they don't want to throw the football more or throw it 30 times a game, that's understandable. I think the issue is the last month or so when they are trying to throw the football, it, it just, it hasn't, looked crisp and it hasn't been effective to me I think that's the bigger concern you know will teams start to load up the box even more why wouldn't you right I mean I guess if you're Illinois and Illinois got does have one of the top statistically has one of the top pass defenses in the country no they haven't faced a the Big Ten West is what it is it's not a gauntlet of uh throwing foot you know teams that are throwing the football all over the place but 
Actually, as a matter of fact, didn't they just loot Purdue's like the one team that kind of does and they actually lost to Purdue yesterday? But um, you know, I'm just I'm loading up and and forcing Michigan to beat to beat you with the pass. I mean, who was it? Was it Michigan State that did a lot of too deep for some reason? You know, and, and you know, that I would not take that approach. You know, so that that's and then the other thing too is, and I don't this this I don't want this to spiral off into a whole different conversation. But I think part of the maybe the frustration from a, a fan standpoint and just in general is I think the expectation was that things would the passing game would be more explosive with with JJ McCarthy at the helm. And yeah, because last year, and I'll, I'll re read the stats in a moment. Michigan has fewer passing yards, fewer passing attempts than it did at this time last season. But it was always supposed to be uh, Hayden McNamara. Michigan was never going to explicitly say this, but like he was always supposed to be kind of like the game manager, the facilitator, allowing the run, keeping defenses honest so that the run game could be effective. This season, Jim Harbaugh compared it to like a pitcher having a great fastball and a great curveball in Big Ten media days. He said that the the pass game will be even better this season. Um, You know, he mentioned being able to be dynamic. Like it wasn't the same kind of preseason buildup where last year everyone knew it was going to be run first. They just didn't know how good it would be this year. Even Jim Harbaugh was, who doesn't always give that kind of stuff away in interviews. He was confident that the pass game would be as effective as the run game this season. Why wouldn't you though, going into the season, you're they're supposed to be super deep at wide receiver. We talked about it being one of the deepest wide receiver rooms in the country, especially when you consider the how well the freshmen looked, the early enrollee freshmen even looked in in spring ball, the spring game, you know, and and the thought the thought was they won't they probably wouldn't even need to rely on any of those guys this year, and they haven't to be fair, but you know, supposed to be a strength of the team was the skill positions across the board, and and we haven't really uh, that hasn't really come to fruition necessarily, so. Big question is, and and I don't, you know, this would be more of a time to maybe promote, you know, Sam does a great job talking with Devin Gardner and Al Borges. They get the, they get the the better film and stuff to watch. But like, I remember last year, there was a big situation where there were open receivers in the field and McNamara was not finding them, even when he was still putting up okay passing numbers. I'd be curious to know if that's still the case for them in the passing game. Cause like the thing is, I, I can't fathom that Michigan's receivers all of a sudden don't know how to get open. I mean, these are guys that have had long, pretty fruitful and successful careers when when you're talking about uh, Johnson, Wilson, and Bell in particular. Uh, you know, is 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 it schematics? You know, that that's kind of the big question. But there just seems like there's been there's been too much talent for them to not have a higher level of success when they're passing the ball, right? The question, like I, I think we're in agreement if Michigan doesn't want to throw the ball a ton, whatever, but it just hasn't looked good when they've been trying, when they've just been attempting to throw the ball lately. And, and I think they're, I think again, we're measuring, yeah, like we're measuring Michigan as a potential national championship contender, not maybe what we would have talked about Michigan three or four years ago, you know, as, as uh fighting to for nine and three, 10 and two, and hopefully beating Ohio state at the end of the year. I mean, Michigan's 10 and oh, they should be 11 and oh after next weekend, you know, this is a top five team. It's been a top five team the majority of the year. I think it's fair to, you know, you reach a little bit further to find some criticisms. Uh, yeah, even when they're 
they're covering the, I believe they said it was the, the largest spread that Nebraska has ever faced in school history, which was just an insane stat when you consider. I'm not surprised about the history. I'm surprised it hasn't come up in the last two years. I mean, they're, they're six yeah. and six and like 16 over the yeah. last two seasons. Yeah. And Michigan covers right in a game that people like, yeah, it felt it. I said it was the most ho-hum 30 and a half point cover in football history. Uh, and I, I still believe that because it, it, I mean, Michigan was in total control, but it just, it was, it was ho-hum is the best way to describe it. And that's, I think Michigan will take a ho-hum any day of the week. Uh, you know, but like I said, just trying to reach a little bit deeper to, to see where and what Michigan needs to unlock to, to get further than they did last year, for being honest. I mean, I think that's the goal, obviously. So uh, what can they do? Yeah. And I, I honestly went into to yesterday believing and I, my mind wasn't changed. I think Michigan's, Defense is better than last season. I think it's run game. Thinking about the whole apparatus, this is not a Hassan Haskins slight. Whole apparatus, offensive line, running backs. I think the run game is better than last season. But I think the pass game is maybe, I don't want to say it's going to hold Michigan back. Because, Steve, I think you you kind of agree with me, too. Like I, I don't think we know to what degree Ohio state is going to stop Michigan's rushing attack. I think we assume it will be tougher sledding, but I don't think it's a given that Michigan goes into Columbus and like, can't run the ball. And and honestly, I don't think it's a given that that would happen in a potential playoff situation either. But I do think as Michigan tries to chase titles, because now they're in, in ring chasing season right now. I mean, the floor at this point is probably the Rose bowl. So now they're, now it's about trying to, obtain titles I guess establish legacies because this this team's going to be talked about for a long time no matter what but you know thinking about the two other teams that went 10 and 0 in the last 48 years for Michigan 1997 2006 I think those are both amazing football teams one of them is talked about a lot differently than the other and so I think it's going to be it's going to come down to how they look in in against the other top five teams that they play, whether it's just Ohio State, whether it's Ohio State and a playoff team, whatever it ends up being. And that's where you start to look at the the passing stats and also just the passing game. You know, the stats aren't great, but I, I think everyone who watched Michigan yesterday, and I think everyone who watched Michigan against Rutgers, yeah, we could throw Michigan State into that mix too. The last three games, there's been countless missed opportunities. I don't think it's just on JJ McCarthy. I think the receivers are also at fault at times. I, I think, I think everyone has to share some of the blame, but the efficiency has totally dropped off. And then, and then Steve, I think the big one, I think the one that fans are kind of watching the most closely is the deep ball passing because at this point, JJ McCarthy is now 11 for 34 on passes, 20 or more yards downfield. There were a couple yesterday that were missed. Andrew Anthony, I think, I don't know if he lost track of the ball or didn't think the ball was coming to him. He almost, he like stopped his route while the ball was in the air. And then on the very next play, that was the Cornelius Johnson drop pass. And and this podcast is not going to be about picking on those two in particular. I think, I think there's missed opportunities abound. I think it's abundant. And the stat that jumps out to me, you know, borrowing pro football focuses analytics 
Michigan's wide receivers are 0 for 8 now on contested passes in the deep ball passing game. 0 for 8. Generally, receivers, good receivers are around 50-50 on contested catches. 0 for 8, that tells me that, that Michigan's receivers, for as experienced as they are and for as talented as they are, are not the kind of receivers that are going to come down with the Nico Collins type ball. Not just the jump balls, but also just the ones that are in traffic. That seems to be a weak point for this team. And I, I think can I throw something? Can I throw something in real quick? You talked about the deep passes, and like yesterday, it felt like it was short or deep. Is is it fair to say that? I mean, my bigger concern almost is that it feels like the intermediate passing game has kind of disappeared over the last two or three weeks. Like, yes, you know, because we've been harping on throwing the deep ball, hitting the deep ball forcing defenses to respect it. it. It does kind of feel like that 15 to 20 yards downfield passing game has really been missing. Does that feel like a schoonmaker? That's what I kind of wondered too. Is like, I, I wondered if they're missing schoonmaker more than uh, people maybe realize, you know? And, and so, and it doesn't have to just be, that's not just a tight end thing, obviously, but like, you know, having a tight end in the middle there maybe draws things over, creates, makes the open or uh, creates the, a little more room in the middle of the field for the receivers to make plays uh, because yesterday, especially it didn't really seem like there was anything attempted in that sort of sweet spot, uh, you know, in the middle of the field, especially. So that, I mean, and I agree, he's got to be better on the deep ball. Uh, You could argue Cornelius Johnson should have caught the ball that was thrown his way. Uh, The other ones though, still just seems like he's just kind of seems to be putting just a little bit too much on every one of them. I mean, it's, that's kind of the other thing too is almost all those deep balls that are missed the the of the the 23 misses out of 34 almost all of them seem to be deep and not short you know so i don't know like you know what that just some feels like something that can be fixed i don't i don't know maybe not at this point i don't know but uh you know yeah but i thought just the the lack of intermediate passing game uh really seemed to kind of st- stand out to me in in the last couple of weeks in particular and by the way, I think part of why we're harping on this so much is you and I both feel like Michigan can can be better in the passing game this season. Last season, it was a lot of like, this is who Michigan is. This is what they're going to do. I still think that's their identity, and they're entitled to that identity. But I think everyone is surprised that through 10 games, J.J. McCarthy has fewer passing yards than Cade McNamara did last season. And I th- it's it, and J.J. McCarthy hasn't thrown... I believe for 200 yards since that Indiana game, which I thought was a great game for him, but Indiana's defense continues to make that look less and less meaningful. So it's, it's, it's surprising. I don't think it's a deal breaker. JJ McCarthy is a first year starter. I think Michigan's receivers are being challenged in different ways than they used to be. I think, I think the lack of presence of a tight end is you know, suddenly those deep balls, you know, Nebraska, I would not say is a particularly great pass defense, but I do think they were in position on a lot of those plays. And maybe that's route design. I don't, I don't know. That's where the all 22 camera and being able to really break it down snap by snap has a lot of value, but yeah, it just, it just feels like that's, that's probably the missing link. And I think it's becoming a little bit of a concern because if they if they don't have the deep ball but they have everything else 
I think Michigan can live with that. I think that's what you saw against the Iowa's, Indiana's, the Penn State's. It was efficient passing game, high percentage passes, didn't necessarily break a defense's back, but also was you know they were completing more than seventy percent of their passes. Now it's not you're not even getting that over the last three weeks. Fifty two percent completion rate. Uh, that's that's not something that opposing defenses are going to respect a ton. That said, I do think there's still a high potential for Michigan to turn it around. You know, and Blake Corum, he's not the only player to mention this, but he he said it yesterday. You know, it's it's they they feel like it's happening in practice. It's about carrying it to from State Street to Main Street. I kind of believe them. I sometimes I roll my eyes when I hear, "Oh, it's working in practice." I actually do kind of believe this because otherwise they wouldn't be trying these deep balls. Think about the last two weeks. I mean, they they could have won those games without attempting one deep pass. The reason that they're trying is that at some point in practice, Michigan was given the impression that that can be a strength for Michigan's offense this season. And so that's why they keep trying it. That's why they feel like it's something they can keep working on. Time time might be running short, right? Because Illinois, I, I early preview, I kind of suspect Michigan will beat Illinois, but it might not be as as easily as a Rutgers or Nebraska. But then suddenly you're you're in the in the Lions den at Ohio State. And and it's kind of a now or never. So I, I, I believe Michigan when they say it's working in practice. Otherwise they wouldn't be calling them in the games. But that efficiency is starting to creep down where it is less Michigan loves to run the ball and more Michigan needs to run the ball. And I think I think Ohio State and other potential playoff teams, they would much rather face a Michigan team that feels like it needs to run the ball than one that can do both but is choosing to run the ball. Steve, that said, we're going to pivot to the, to the stuff that we liked out of Michigan's offense real quick. It is just stunning to me how every single game, it's like clockwork with this run game. Michigan maybe starts a little slow. Like I don't think they've, they've busted out of the gates running the ball. But especially Blake Corum, especially that offensive line, it, it seems to get better as the game goes on. And they wear teams down. And I can't tell you how many times yesterday Nebraska had eight in the box. You know, they only had one safety up high and they, they, you know, they, they were putting as many guys in to stop the run as they could against Blake Corum. And he only had, he had 28 carries. He only had one carry go for negative yards. So I sympathize, you know, Jim Harbaugh had the quote yesterday, hard to decide to pass when you're getting five, six yards per carry. And I agree with your point about the first downs. I mean, if it's second and five and Blake Corum, is getting yards every single time. I I get the allure and the incentive to just keep running the ball. I mean, this is this is something special. Steve, you've been watching Michigan games a little bit longer than than me. I I mainly, you know, kind of thinking about those 2000s 90s games. I mean, have you seen Michigan just able to bulldoze opponents like this? I mean, that's that's the only word I can think of is is by the time the fourth quarter comes around and this is not a slight on you know Michigan's backup running backs, but they're getting 10, 15 yards per pop. I mean, the offensive line is wearing teams down, and Blake Corum is is just. I mean, he didn't. He had 162 yards yesterday. He did not have a single carry go for more than 12 yards. Like to me, that's someone who. I mean, that's a very Hassan Haskins like stat line, where it's not flashy. The other team knows it's coming, and yet he's still delivering. 
just wanted to get some of your thoughts on the on the context of of just what we're watching. I mean, I, I this is just impressive. As as much as we can talk about the concerns about the passing game, I don't know if anyone's going to stop Michigan's run game. It's just a matter of, you know, can they slow it down here and there? That's what I, was I mean, honestly, kind of a, a little reminiscent of the national title team in 97, really. Uh, that was not a dynamic passing attack by any means. You know, that was a Chris Howard, A-Train, Chris Floyd, Steve Hutchinson, like the, you know, and 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 playing, winning the turnover battle, you know, yeah, especially not turning it over, not so much forcing a, a ton of turnovers defensively, but not turning the ball over offensively, wearing teams down up front throughout the course of a four-quarter game. They don't have a Charles Woodson on defense, obviously, but I think Corum probably better than the backs they had for sure. But I mean, that's the first thing that, that springs to mind is that the, there are some similarities there. You know, they were definitely a run first offensive unit with a, with a very, very incredibly stingy run defense uh, depth up front. You know, the, like I said, the difference Woodson, which is a big, big uh, difference, but, but still, you know, as far as just strictly offensively, I mean, there's there's really that. I mean, over the years, Michigan's had – they've definitely had games, individual game. I think of Chris Perry, you know, 51 carries against Michigan State, you know, in a, in a, in a grinded-out type game. So, Michigan, you know, it's it feels like that's always sort of been the backbone of, of Michigan football. But, you know, at the same time, there are plenty of years, you know, they've had a lot of great receiver play over the years as well. So – yeah, I mean, to me, the first thing that stands out is the national championship team as far as just the offensive makeup so far. Uh, I would argue it feels like the ceiling for Michigan's passing game should be higher, though, just because I think you, you do have a, a little bit more of a dynamic player at quarterback. And I think the receiver talent from top to bottom is is a little bit better as well. I, I think the other thing that they, in 97, was uh, you know, a guy like Tooman, you know, the tight end position also super, super valuable for Michigan, both in the running and passing game, which is goes back to, you know, we know Eric All's done, uh, but you know, that think they need a they need a one hundred percent Luke Schoonmaker, I think. Or a or a huge breakout from Colson Loveland, who continues to get more playing time every every Saturday, but but gotta think Schoonmaker is the more safe bet there to, to be a you know, sort of that blocker slash receiver in, in the, at the tight end spot that, that can really tear open that seam and open some other things up. Well, and it's clear JJ McCarthy likes throwing to him, right? That there's that trust there with, with Schoonmaker, obviously Eric all is out for the season, probably maybe a loss that got overlooked a little bit. Like I remember when, when that was confirmed news, maybe because it was like rumored for so long, but yeah, it almost seemed like Michigan fans were like, "Oh, that's okay." You know, eight and zero or seven and zero, you know, still cruising. Uh, but he was he was Michigan's number two player in receiving yards last season. So, you know, when we think about yesterday, yeah, if Schoonmaker or even Eric All are in that game and healthy, do the numbers at least look a little bit more favorable from an efficiency standpoint? But yeah, Schoonmaker's health is a big part of it. In terms of the run game, 
Yeah, I was I was curious about the the context because it it, it does feel like very nineties where Michigan's first and second string running back seem like NFL future NFL draft picks. Uh, it seems like no matter who they're facing, I mean the the rushing numbers against Ohio State in the nineties were incredible, and and you hear former Michigan offensive linemen talk about some of those games, and it's like they knew from the jump, oh yeah, we're gonna we're gonna run for three hundred yards today is what they, you know, they would reflect on that. And so st- starting to feel like that, like when I think about the Michigan Ohio state game, because I was, I, my, my column initially was going to be like, Michigan is needs to like get better at the passing game because someone's going to stop the run game. And I was like, well, I don't know if someone will, I don't think it's a given Ohio state will. And, and you know, one thing about Ohio state last, the last two weeks, Nebraska or not Nebraska, Northwestern and Indiana, two of the worst rushing attacks in power five football. They average against teams that aren't Ohio state. They combined to average about 187 rushing yards per game combined against Ohio state in the last two weeks. The Buckeyes have surrendered 356 rushing yards. And I know they're going to be a lot more focused and a lot more determined to stop the run against Michigan than they were in games against Northwestern and Indiana but I don't know that Ohio state has completely fixed its run defense issues from past seasons. And I, you know, when I head down to Columbus in a couple weeks, I will be doing so expecting Michigan to run the ball effectively, how effectively may determine ultimately who wins the game. But I am under the impression that Michigan will be able to move the football through the ground probably against everyone that it faces. I mean, Georgia is maybe the one, if they end up facing Georgia, maybe the one team I think in the country that, that really can stop everything Michigan wants to do. But Illinois, great run defense. Ohio State statistically still a pretty sound run defense. So the next two weeks, it, it will be very interesting to see if some of this, this grading physical run game that Michigan's having so much success with, with continues with that we're going to hit a quick break on the other side we're going to talk about defense couple couple things including this one debate steve and i both like this when we talked about it before the show who has been michigan's biggest outlier on defense a surprise player who has really helped michigan perform better than expected on the defensive side of the ball you're listening to the wolverine 24 7 podcast Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. All right, welcome back. Thanks for waiting. 
Steve, I think there's a few players. So I, I kind of want this to be almost the entire second half of the episode because uh, we'll talk about a few different players. But Michigan's defense continuing to look like, I would probably say, the number two defense in the country right now. I think Georgia's number one, really until someone scores more on them or, or, or exploits them or shows weakness there. I, I think it's fair to keep them number one. But I think Michigan's number two. I think they're better in, in coverage than they were a season ago. I think they're much better stopping the run than they were a season ago. You know, the pass rush starting to grow a little concerned the last few weeks. It hasn't been as prolific as, as, it, as it was previously. But I don't think it's some liability that Michigan's going to be doomed by, you know, especially with how well they're playing in coverage. So, Steve, I'll let you get first crack. Who, who is a player that's the, – the outlier term is something that John Beeline used to use. You know, that used to be his thing. Is fe- come February and March, you need outliers on your team to have success. You know, And outliers meaning players who are playing above what was expected of them or what, what even Michigan expected of them. Because obviously Michigan wants the best out of all of its players, but, but even the coaches know, you know, have – they're not expecting every player to be an All-American or a superstar. So, Steve, who's someone that has really shined for the Wolverines, thinking mainly in Big Ten play, more than what was expected, that has really played a big key in Michigan's defense being as successful as it has this season? Yeah, there's a few. I think there's like, I think we could almost think there's like one, at least one at every level of the defense. I know the one that we talked about beforehand, Mike Sainer is still really, I mean, you can't have enough, like reliability is such an asset in the defensive backfield, you know, and for him to walk in as a primarily offensive player and and come in and play as consistently as he has for Michigan, you know, it's like Turner's been a little up and down. Green's been really good when he's in there. Will Johnson is ascending. Uh, Sainer still's really almost been one of the steadier, players back there uh which is huge uh when you consider well the game in two weeks and just again just Michigan once again with a the their third different defensive coordinator are once again near the top of the country in, in a lot of passing defense statistics so you know Sainer stills one I think Michael Barrett his ascension the last three or four weeks you know uh a guy that we I think, I, I don't know how I would say it, maybe we liked but didn't love necessarily. Uh, much credit to him because he's looked like a different player coming down the stretch, which is is huge at linebacker because we've kind of, we had kind of nitpicked linebacker as sort of the uh, the weak link sort of on the defense, uh, particularly from a depth standpoint too. So with Nakai Hill Green being out, guessing for the whole season at this point, you know, for a guy like Barrett to step up has been huge for Michigan. So, uh, and then up front would be, I mean, there's a few guys up front, but yeah, Mason Graham has just been, he's plays like a veteran already. The the future is incredibly bright for him. And again, another spot where of course depth everywhere is valued, but man, having interior depth on the interior of the defensive line is just, that's, that's what can win you big football games is always having, always having one or two guys in the middle who are fresh, uh, but effective and, and hit. So him, 
being able to play behind Mozzie Smith, Chris Jenkins, uh, you know, along with Rayshon Benny, even Kenneth Grant, who who I don't know if he's going to get any big snaps and big games this year, but even yesterday coming in late looked like a a, a guy that's going to be a force to be reckoned with at some point too. So, uh, but yeah, so credit to Mason Graham as well as being another guy. Yeah, I think Mason Graham is, I mean, especially yesterday, I felt like he had a couple pretty big plays on, on maybe the one or two drives that Nebraska did something. <laughs> you know, it's just, I, I, I don't mean it to sound like we're dunking on Nebraska, but they had eight first downs in the game. They had 10 drives, eight first downs, really only, only two drives that I can recall off the top of my head that went into Michigan territory even. So pretty dominant effort, but I thought, I thought Graham was hitting pretty hard. Looks like he's getting better getting through the line. You know, in terms of his his hand technique, some of the the counter moves to you know the offensive line that he's facing, but to me, I think the biggest outlier is Mike Sainer still, because I think even the most optimistic Michigan fan would not have projected Mike Sainer still to play this well in year one at you know the nickel slot corner kind of role. I mean, Trey Palmer yesterday, Trey Palmer averages 95 receiving yards per game entering Saturday. He is held to 12 yards on 10 targets. And it wasn't all San Ristil, but but it seemed like time and again, San Ristil was the guy that was there, that was on that play, that was that was covering Palmer. And, and we mentioned before the game, Palmer is kind of L, former top 120 recruit, former LSU player, transferred to Nebraska, has been a star there maybe a little bit of a preview to a matchup against an Ohio state receiver, for example, you know, very shifty, very fast and very effective. Now, Nebraska didn't have its first. And then at some point it's second string quarterback. But at the same time, I, I didn't feel like Palmer was like scampering wide open downfield. Like it, it felt like he was pretty well covered. Didn't get a lot of yards after the catch either. I mean, 12 total yards, you could probably surmise that he wasn't getting a ton after the catch. But I, I thought St. still continued to to really just I, – I don't think in even Jim Harbaugh's dreams was St. still the guy who could replace Dax Hill so well. He's not Dax Hill. You know, the coverage stats aren't quite as good, but, but boy. Does Mike St. still get drafted? I think so. I don't yeah. – not, I'm not a scout, but – I guess it would depend because he's Dax one of the was few a first recruits. round. Dax was a first round pick, so I he mean, was. We're not, yeah. Expe- yeah he, and he's not Hill. We've, you already made that clear. I just, yeah, as he as he worked himself into being drafted, and it'd be a fascinating case because as as valuable as he was as a receiver, I'm I'm not sure if he's getting drafted in the NFL as a receiver. No, right? I don't think so. Fascinating. Think- it's a fascinating like development for him. Like you know, I I just think it's it's very interesting to think about with him. Yeah, in terms of his draft potential, I think part of it is going to have to come down to how he tests, like what his testing numbers. Because I think he's one of the few players on Michigan's team that I couldn't find really any any verifiable testing numbers on him. So, And that's probably why he was a three-star recruit. Because right as soon as he got to campus, Michigan loved him. They love his football IQ. They love his athleticism. They love how he looks in practice in terms of not making mistakes in terms of taking every snap seriously. So I think there's definitely a path to being drafted. I don't, I don't know enough <laughs> to, to gauge that, but, but for the, the fact that that's even a conversation 
in his first year playing defense since high school, I think is really, really impressive. I think there's two other players in the secondary who have been outliers. And one of them is Makari Page. I feel like we've talked about him before. I mean, he really helps Michigan safety room out. R.J. Moten, Rod Moore, I think are very good players. I think their size limits them. You know, I think Moore is just he's, – he's very small for the safety position. And Moten, I don't know that he's quite – I don't know if he quite has the foot speed to keep up with. He's kind of kind of like a Brad Hawkins type or maybe even like a Josh Metellus type actually where where he's not missing a lot of tackles and he's making a lot of smart plays. But I don't know if he's keeping up with every receiver that he lines up against. But but Page, I mean, he's six foot four and like what, 195 pounds. I mean, he can almost he has the length to cover a tight end, but also the foot speed to I think hang with at least a few slot receivers and running backs in coverage. So I think he's been a big help. But then the guy who is really starting to look like a true difference maker for Michigan that even a month ago wasn't necessarily an expectation anyone fairly had on him this season is Will Johnson. Because, Steve, I'm going to pull up the numbers in just a moment, but I think he's been Michigan's best cornerback over the past few weeks. And, and that's saying something. I mean, DJ Turner is a guy we expect to be drafted. I think he's very good. Jamon Green is a guy uh, you and I have, are, are constantly singing his praises. Feels like it's been a couple years now that that we've been saying that he's underrated and that he's gonna that he's gonna have a pretty good fifth se- fifth year senior season. But I don't know. Seems like Will Johnson is is playing at at this particular moment better than both of them, and I don't think that's anything to feel ashamed about. I think he's just playing that well. And I think if you're a Michigan fan and you're wondering, okay, what are the odds of beating Ohio State in Columbus? I think Will Johnson helps your odds quite a bit the way he's playing right now. Five-star recruit was always expected to be really good at Michigan, but I think there's always hesitation about fresh, true freshman defensive backs. I mean, even Dax Hill had some some big plays that he allowed his freshman year, and then it was kind of his sophomore and, and junior year where he really stepped up. But Johnson looking prodigal right now is that I don't know maybe that's maybe that's too hyperbolic but but he looks he looks like he might be Michigan's best cornerback and maybe best defensive back right now and and that's a very good sign for the Wolverines. Steve, your thoughts on Johnson? Yeah, he's been awesome. Uh, I like the, the physicality he plays with too. You know, he played a lot of safety in high school, so he's used to coming up and and laying the smack or whatever you want to say it to receivers or whoever backs, uh, you know, but that physicality I think is, has been noticed and not just the Sean Clifford hit a few weeks ago against Penn state. I mean, he's been playing like that for the last few weeks. Yeah. I mean, I think, I guess, you know, and, and still two weeks until the game, but I mean, if, if so Michigan's run defense is maybe the best in the country, definitely one of the top two or three units in the country and two of our ascending player. I mean, we've been watching the team closely all year. If two of our ascending players are your nickel, and the guy who's supposed to be your third corner, uh, you know, bodes kind of well heading into Columbus, doesn't it? I mean, at, at least to get the, the objective on a, in a road game against a big team like Ohio State is to to give yourself a shot. And it feels like Michigan is is the pieces are sort of accumulating 
particularly on the defensive side of the ball for Michigan to at least slow down Ohio state enough to give their offense a, a, a legitimate chance to win the game. So, yeah, I mean, seeing Will Johnson ascend the way he has, yeah, not a huge surprise. I, I think I, I would almost say probably according to Michigan's plan kind of, cause yeah, I mean, you're, it, you know, not, he's got two vets in front of him. So it's not like there was a rush, you know, there was no baptism by fire here with him. It was just, a, I think it was, this was a steady progression. I think that Michigan uh, believed could happen and I think expected to sort of happen. So, yeah, I mean, he's, he's going to be the guy uh, for the next couple of years for sure. And I, uh, you know, I think Michigan fans are, are fair to be very excited uh, about what he's already become and what I think, you know, I think there's still a much higher ceiling there. Yeah. His ceiling is all American. You know, that'd, that'd be maybe a, an expectation heading into next season, but certainly his junior season, but the last five games, Steve, he has allowed five completions in coverage on 14 targets. He allowed that 48 yarder against Rutgers. Other than that play, he has only allowed 16 passing yards on the, on the other 13 targets. He's really starting to look very good. I I agree with you about the tackling and you know, it's, he doesn't look, you know, I mean, he is an undersized. He's, he's a big cornerback. That's why part of why he was a five-star recruit, six two one ninety four. But yeah, he's, he's hitting like a safety yet playing in coverage, like an elite cornerback. So that's been, that's been a real boost. Steve, anyone else jump out to you as an outlier? I, I did like the Michael Barrett one. I think he is the, him and Jermon Green are two fifth-year seniors who deserve a ton of credit because I don't think they were guaranteed starting jobs heading into their fifth seasons. And I do think they could have started somewhere else. You know, they, they were both recruited by, you know, the, the old defensive coaching staff. In the shift, I think there was some concern. I mean, they, they weren't starters toward the end of last season. They were playing, but they weren't starters. And so I give them a lot of credit for seeing the vision of becoming starters and key pieces in this Michigan defense, and then also going out there in the offseason and making the improvements to get there. Anyone else jump out to you as as an outlier on this defense? I mean, obviously, you're not going to be there, Michigan is number one in scoring defense, total defense right now. So you're not going to be statistically the best defense in the country 11 weeks into the college football season without a number of outliers. Anyone jump out to you? Maybe is there, you, know, you mentioned Mason Graham. Anyone else up on the defensive front that stands out to you? That's why I wondered. I, I don't, I know you're going to do your snap count thing. I, I wondered about Derek Moore because it felt like he was out there a lot yesterday. Again, I, I don't know. Maybe I focus on single guys too much. Maybe he didn't play a t- I just, it felt like Derek Moore was out there a little bit uh, for more snaps than he normally is, you know? So I think he's another guy, not maybe not quite the same as Will Johnson, especially because there is a heavier rotation at that edge spot, but a guy I think Michigan had growing expectations for after what they, after they knew and, and, and realized what they had and, you know, has kind of been on a progressive rise. I don't think he's to the level of any of the other guys we've talked about, 
but I do, I mean, you know, he could really help Michigan too. If he starts to pick it up. Cause he went, he went over a month without a quarterback pressure. Okay. He had had at least one yesterday. He had two in three pass rushing snaps. There you go. He was effective when he was out there. He made the most of his snaps in my opinion. Yeah. Maybe that's why I thought he played more. Maybe he didn't have more snaps, but he, you could, he, you felt him a little bit more uh, than, than they have in the last few weeks. So, you know, yeah, definitely a guy that can really help him. He, he, that dude's just built like an NFL defensive end. I mean, he, he, to me, of all the guys they had put out there on the edge, he's the one that just physically looks like a guy who would play in the pros. Uh, so, you know, maybe yeah, he kind of it's he kind of looks like Rashawn Gary a little bit. Yeah, yep. Just from no, a physical stature standpoint, I agree. Yep, and uh, so he'd kind of be the other one, I think, if there's anybody. But uh, yeah, no, I think the Makari Page one's really good too. You know, we. We're really singing his praises early on this season. Now he's become just a, a reliable cog for Michigan uh, defensively. Like I said, we love the way that he's a guy you can use in different defensive scenarios. I think that's where his value lies. So, you know, another good one to think about. But, yeah, that's a few guys in the defensive backfield who have really sort of stepped up, you know, and and, and are playing their best football right now. Yeah, I think one other player, and I'll shout him out because I did mention in my pre game story that he had his production had kind of fallen off lately but Yabioki I thought had a very importantly good game yesterday he had three quarterback pressures he hadn't had one in a month like he had the same drought that that Derek Moore did but but with a lot more snaps and so I don't know how much that will translate against better offensive lines I mean Nebraska's not a very good pass blocking team but I thought you know Oki is someone who I don't know what what was a fair expectation before the season. I mean, it seemed like seemed like everyone who covered Michigan, including our site, were kind of like, uh, not not sure that this is going to be this isn't a guarantee, right? It's like a big experiment to add someone midway through fall camp with extreme talent, but also hasn't played a power five game or even an FBS game in several years, doesn't know Michigan's playbook, you know, very much a wild card, but I think he's been He's been really helpful. Just just adding a little bit more of a of an athletic punch opposite Mike Morris because Mike Morris has been great. You could argue he's been an outlier. I mean, there were there were high expectations for him, but you know, for him to look kind of like a second team All Big Ten defensive end, I think is is a very good sign for Michigan. But I think across from him, having a little bit of explosiveness, especially in the pass rush, I think Oki's been very helpful there. Steve, switching just to kind of the general takeaways from Michigan's defense yesterday, anything else that we haven't talked about yet jump out to you about Michigan's defense? Hard to hard to sing the praises as much as previous games, even though the stats are great, just because of how banged up Nebraska is. But at the same time, I think Nebraska converted a 30-yard pass on its first drive, and the rest of the game they had less than 110 yards in the other nine drives. I mean, they had several three and outs, eight total first downs, very much a domination, but probably, I mean, you can talk about the injuries, but it's it was important to me, I think, that Michigan really didn't have like a dink around drive where they the consistency fell off or they were making, I guess the field goal drive, they had a couple penalties, but overall... You know, I think Michigan, for a lot of times, they'll play really great games. This is not specific to this season. This is more under Jim Harbaugh. But then they'll have like a drive or two where they 
they they just I don't know if they're ca- they're caught with their shoelaces tied or what, but it does seem like they give up a, a fluke touchdown here or there. I thought it was it was impressive to me in November to see them not have that kind of drive. You know, when you're thinking about Ohio State in a couple weeks, you know, that's the kind of consistency you need. It will be a lot tougher against the Buckeyes. But I think great defenses really don't give you anything over the course of 60 minutes. And, and Michigan's starting to look like one of those kind of defenses. Uh, yeah, that's pretty much my takeaway. You know, Nebraska's offense, pretty poo at this point of the year. But that doesn't mean, yeah, you're always susceptible to hiccups, particularly when you know the offense you're facing, you know, it's a team that you should have a lot of success against. So, yeah, the, the no hiccups and stuff I think is is important to note. I mean, yeah, what – what more can you take out of a game like that? Cause like you said, I mean, we expected Michigan's defense to have a high level of success throughout this game. Uh, but they really, they went out and executed that. I mean, when you have one play that really is like, that's it one play, we're talking about single plays here. Uh, and that was it is, is, you know, yeah. Did what they're supposed to do, which in November, that's what you want to see if you're Michigan's coaches. I assume you want to see them go out and do what they're supposed to do against an inferior unit. And again, that doesn't mean, you know, if they didn't go out with it, didn't do what they were supposed to do. It means like Michigan, the game was probably almost never going to be in danger here, but even just, yeah, a couple lapses, a couple drives, sustained drives, you know, uh, no, I just, Michigan came in and, and did their job and yeah. That was the only play Michigan allowed all game of more than 13 yards. And it was what the third or fourth, play of the game kind of think a, about think about that like that's I don't care you know it's still a power five yeah <laughs> offense like that's impressive you know and that's those are the types of stats you can take to the bank no matter who you're playing again maybe unless it's like Iowa I don't know but um yeah no that's crazy yeah yep under 150 total yards eight first downs I mean Michigan is really starting to I think the first down stat is is quietly maybe the underrated stat about this Michigan defense is like I think they I believe they lead the country in fewest first downs allowed now. I mean they're starting to not even let teams get comfortable. You know, I think about Michigan State, I think Rutgers, I think Penn State. You know, I know they they scored on that one, you know, where they had Clifford ran for that really long run, but Every other drive in that game, they were uncomfortable. And and I, you know, Penn State and Rutgers each scored 17 points, but they needed special teams and defensive touchdowns to get there. I mean, Michigan's actual defense has not allowed more than 10 points since those garbage time touchdowns that Iowa and Maryland got. And that's it all season. So I think they're really doing a nice job with that consistency where you know, even if they give up, uh, you know, I, I think Purdy had a couple scrambles that Michigan was out of position for. But even if they give up like that thirty-yard kind of fluke pass, the very next snap they're 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 not reeling, they're not ta- taking mental lapses or having difficulty focusing. I mean, it's just a very focused defense, and they're pretty talented too, right? They're they, similar to Michigan's offensive line. They're wearing teams down by the fourth quarter especially feels like in the pass rush and stop. And, and and then the run game, like no one, no one gets to do anything 
Anthony Grant entered last week 20, 22nd nationally in rushing yards per game, 22 yards on 11 carries. 22 yards on 11 carries. So, and that's that's been true for Rutgers, for Michigan State, for Penn State. Penn State had some pretty good running backs, and, and they actually ran the ball decently against Ohio State, against uh, Maryland to, you know, maybe a different type of defense, but couldn't do anything against the Wolverines. Anyway, for Steve Lorenz, I'm Zach Shaw. This has been the Wolverine 24-7 podcast. Lots of stories over at the michiganinsider.com, michigan.247sports.com. Be sure to check it out. Wolverines are 10-0 and for the first time since 2006 and only the third time since 1974. So enjoyable season if you're a Michigan fan. Don't uh, overlook you know, just the raw record. I know they haven't played quite as many good teams as they're used to playing at this point in the season, but those opportunities will come in the next two weeks. This has been the Wolverine 24-7 Podcast. We'll see you next time.